focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio today, we have our Friday reporters in Lee Ji-young and Chang Hana. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening to you guys. Well, we're going to start things off with the ongoing tensions uh, with North Korea ever since uh, they fired test fired their Hwasong-18 solid fuel ICBM last week. Uh, we knew there was going to be some response uh, from uh, Seoul and Washington as well. Well, North Korea in response to uh, the USS Kentucky being uh, docked over into the port of Busan, they issued a new threat over that. Uh, we had North Korea's defense chief uh, Kang Soon-nam uh, even mentioned that this move could meet their conditions for using nuclear weapons, as in uh, they could use their nuclear weapons and bombard wherever they want because this is a nuclear threat that you posed, uh, both Seoul and Washington. Let's talk a little bit more about this. Chiang, uh, give us the details of this. Uh, sure, SJ. Now, the USS Kentucky docked there on the 18th, coinciding with the first meeting of the U.S.-South Korea Nuclear Consultation Group, also known as the NCG. And uh, North Korea's defense chief, Kang, certainly wasn't shy about expressing his concern about it. Um, he said that the U.S. military should be aware that their strategic assets are entering what he called a, quote, quote-unquote, dangerous area. Now, we need to remember that North Korea laid out its nuclear use policy last year, and the policy states that they might use nuclear weapons if there's a nuclear attack on North Korea, or even if there's an imminent threat of such an attack. Now, the policy outlines five conditions for using nuclear weapons, and North Korea is saying that the submarine's presence itself has checked off two of them. Now, the whole submarine docking thing is like the U.S. and South Korea flexing their muscles, showing they're ready to deploy strategic assets. Now, this goes back to something they agreed on in the Washington Declaration a while back. Now, in response, North Korea has been testing their long-range missiles that could reach even the U.S. And they've even got a legal argument to threaten South Korea with nuclear weapons. Now, neither South Korea nor the U.S. is ta taking this lightly, and they firmly rejected these moves. So it looks like we're in for a tense time on the uh, Korean Peninsula, uh, especially with North Korea's continued provocations and the whole U.S.-China power, which is uh, going on, this power struggle that's going on. So, Jiang, it does look like then North Korea is really connecting this to the broader security situation in the region. Yeah, that's right, SJ. Now, Kang blames it on what he's calling uh, military antics from the U.S., and he also referred to South Korea as gangsters. He called them gangpes. <laughs> Excuse me. So it seems like he's implying that North Korea's nuclear weapons need to be ready for action. Uh, he issued a serious warning to both uh, the U.S. and South Korea, calling any military action against North Korea the most miserable choice that they could have made. Now, he's basically saying that they should think twice before even contemplating it. Now, one thing that is intriguing is the also the language that Kang is using. He repeatedly referred to South Korea as the Republic of Korea. Uh, in Korean, 대한민국. They would usually say Nam Joseon or yes. Nam Han. 
which is translated to South Korea. Now, this is this is kind of a change, and this is also mirrors uh, what uh, recent remarks that Kim Yo Jong, who is uh, Kim Jong, the North Korean leader Kim Jong Un's sister, uh, said uh, in her recent uh, in her recent uh, statement. Yeah. So uh, North Korea sort of calls themselves by uh, Joseon, right? Mm-hmm. And so that is the old saying. And so by calling it for the longest time Nam Joseon, technically they were still linked historically uh, in some ways and by calling it although I mean technically we are Deanminguk and that is the Republic of Korea is the official name uh, now they've completely separated themselves uh, from South Korea but I I, I do find it quite interesting though that a lot of these uh, rhetorics and uh, these remarks came from Kim Yajung right Mm -hmm. that we've seen them and Kim Jong-un is always silent in regards to this you know they uh, it's also kind of I think Kim Jong-un's tactics to have Kim Yajung be more aggressive one with these statements but this time it's the defense minister which now shows you because I'll be honest with you this is the first time that I've heard from the defense minister in North Korea Mm -hmm. uh, making these remarks and so now they're going listen it's no longer an empty threat we're getting uh, our our military's chief involved with this we can really it it could turn into a nuclear war at any state I think is the threat and I find it just very ironic that they're calling uh, uh, South Koreans uh, gangsters because it does seem like it is North Korea that continues to threaten uh, Mm -hmm. South Korea US and uh, other allies with their nuclear uh, weapons or uh, or their intercontinental ballistic missiles but certainly like you said uh, Jiang tensions are certainly uh, at its peak right now on the Korean Peninsula Uh, in the meantime the Ministry of National Defense responded to North Korea's uh, threats that a US strategic nuclear ballistic missile submarine, the USS Kentucky, uh, being in Busan, constituted a condition for use of nuclear weapons uh, by calling it a legitimate defensive response by the ROC-US alliance to North Korea's ongoing nuclear and missile threats. Now, Hannah, tell us more about how South Korea and uh, the United States responded to this. Sure. Uh, Now, the defense ministry said in a statement on Friday that the U.S. and South Korea's holding of the NCG, the Nuclear Consultation Group, and deployment of SSBNs is not a nuclear threat to North Korea, as claimed by the regime. And the ministry said, as the U.S. and South Korea have made clear through this NCG meeting, any nuclear attack by North Korea on the U.S.-South Korean alliance will face an immediate, overwhelming and decisive response from the alliance. And he also said that we warn strongly against that the attack will result in the end of the North Korean regime. Now, Seoul's defense ministry renewed the warning after Pyongyang's defense chief, Kang Sun-nam, issued a sharp-tongued statement the previous day, criticizing the arrival of the USS Kentucky in South Korea and the inaugural meeting of the South Korea-US nuclear consultative group this week. And in response, the US government has refuted North Korean claims that a series of measures, including a strategic nuclear ballistic missile submarine sent to reinforce the extended deterrence the US provides to South Korea are actually nuclear threats aimed at Pyongyang. And a U.S. Department of Defense spokesperson said that the actions taken by the U.S. ROK alliance through the Washington Declaration and the NCG are a prudent response to North Korea's dangerous and tension-raising behavior and advance the alliance's goal of promoting peace and stability in the region. Now, Sabrina Singh, the deputy defense spokesperson, also said in a briefing that we were not there to deliberately provoke North Korea, but this is to deepen U.S.-South Korea 
Korea cooperation and as part of the Washington Declaration. She also said that we don't know what North Korea's plans are, referring to the possibility of further provocations on the occasion of the 70th anniversary of the U.S.-South Korea alliance on July 27th. However, we continue to cooperate with South Korea to contain North Korea's excuse me expansion in the region, but we do not come uh, want conflict and do not expect further provocations. Again, it, you know, it's it's one of those things. Who provoked who first, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's a mystery because even with uh, the USS Kentucky uh, docking over at the port of Busan happened after the launch of the Hwasong-18 solid fuel ICBM. Now, again, I mean, I can, we continue to stress the importance of them using solid fuel ICBM. It does seem like with the use of their recent Hwasong-18 and not their Hwasong-17, uh, their previous model, that they have in some ways really advanced their uh, missile ICBM technology right now because mm-hmm. uh, they have for the longest time uh, test fired their Hwasong-17 and I believe they did fire uh, the Hwasong-18 once before but it was once it was a failure I believe and so they're still trying to figure out how this is going to work and apparently this recent one was a success and they're saying that if they fired at a certain trajectory that it was meant for B that it would have uh, landed in uh, the uh, continental US is what it is but then because of the, the higher trajectory they made it pers- you know purposely made it land you know way further away right it was like towards the EC I believe uh, but uh, July 27th is going to be an interesting one. There's a whole lot of anniversary all mixed up because, mm-hmm. uh, as Hannah said, it is the 70th anniversary of the South Korea-U.S. alliance, but it also marks uh, the 70th anniversary of the Armistice mm-hmm. uh, Day and also, as <laughs> North Korea calls it, Victory Day, right? Because this is when they won the war, uh, mm-hmm. technically, is what it is. So all eyes on the Korean Peninsula. Hopefully, uh, we will be able to uh, avoid any sort of uh, conflict on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, let's move on to domestic politics here. South Korea Ministry of Unification uh, candidate Kim Young-ho's confirmation hearing. Uh, This was, of course, held today. Drew a lot of attention with the nomination because of his extreme right-wing views on North Korea, which I guess under the UN administration kind of fits uh, the ideas because we do know that the UN administration has been very hawkish uh, towards uh, North Korea issues. But uh, do tell us more about uh, Kim Jong-ho as a candidate and uh, why so much controversy? Um, yeah. Now, Kim uh, Jong-ho has served as a professor at Sungshin Women's University since 2010. And he also served in key roles during the Lee Myung-bak administration, uh, including the Secretary for Unification to the President and also the Human Rights Ambassador at the Foreign uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And and most recently, in February, he was appointed as the chairman of the planning committee for unification future in Yoon Song Yeo's administration. Now, the reason why he's so controversial is that you you did kind of mention it, SJ, is uh, on his far right wing views, and he's been expressing this on his books and articles, and especially in his YouTube broadcasting. And uh, he has been known for his claims such as calling for the overthrow of Kim Jong-un's regime and labeling uh, South-North relations as adversarial. Now, he's also called Kim Jong-un a crazy person, uh, called him Michi Gwangi in Korean, and even said that the 2000 South Korean North 
North Korean historic summit should not have happened and that South Korean administration at that time should have left North Korea to die. Uh, so that's why his nomination has been wet with fierce criticism, particularly from uh, opposition parties. Now, the opposition party has been vocal describing Kim as an unfit candidate due to his extreme right-wing views. And they've even hinted at the possibility of derailing the hearing, but that actually didn't happen. Now, they argue that Kim hasn't been cooperative in providing documents requested by the parliament, rendering a fair hearing impossible. Now, uh, this morning, they actually started the hearing, and after one hour, they had to uh, have a recess because tensions were so high. And they resumed uh, the hearing in the afternoon. And uh, what stood out was three things is first, his uh, far right wing YouTube uh, broadcast. And the second was uh, his questionable real estate transactions and also his 2004 DUI. So he tried to explain those issues, right? I think with Mm -hmm. his YouTube channel, he was saying that I, I think kind of he misunderstood the controversy over his YouTube channel. It was more because of his very far right mm-hmm. uh, views, mm-hmm. uh, rather than he was basically saying, "I'm just going to shut you know shut down the, the channel." I think he was kind of thinking, "Oh, you're making money off of your YouTube channel, and that's the controversy." That wasn't the controversy, right. but he did say that he was going to shut you know shut down his YouTube channel. He talked about his uh, the real estate, uh, the controversial real estate dealings, which he I believe said was, "It's my fault. I should have been a little bit more transparent with this stuff, and I'll provide whatever information uh, as well." But it might be saying, "Well, I mean, what?" Wrong. What you know? There's nothing wrong with having right wing uh, or very right wing uh, views on North Korea, but at the same time, you have to understand the role of the Unification Ministry when it first uh, launched. Again, mm-hmm. it's the Unification Ministry in hopes that back in 1960s that the two Koreas eventually will be able to reunify, which is why the, the North Korean side also has uh, the the re- reunification of the fatherland, a ministry I believe is what it's called. The Office of the Reunification of the Fatherland mm-hmm. uh, is what it's called. And so the whole point of the ministry is for peace, try to strike dialogue and not to cause more tensions. And so the fear is, and the controversy is, that having a very far right uh, view on North Korea will cause even more tensions and further away from the whole idea of, you know, peace on the Korean Peninsula and uh, maybe a possibility of uh, unification on the Korean Peninsula as well. But again, uh, we will keep a close tab on this. Uh, There is a whole lot of uh, opposition from the DP at this time, but uh, we'll see whether or not this nomination will go through. Uh, Speaking of controversy, we'll let's t- now talk about the former DP lawmaker Kim Nam Gook. Uh, his political career right now in jeopardy after an advisory panel of the National Assembly Special Committee on Ethics has recommended that he be stripped of his parliamentary seat. Now, this is the highest level of discipline for a lawmaker uh, who, of course, left the DP uh, mid controversy over his dubious. Uh, cryptocurrency holdings. Hannah, uh, fill us in on the latest here. Sure. Now, Kim won the uh, 21st parliamentary election in 2020 at the age of 37 and was once considered part of the core group of pro Jae-myung within the party. But the case has left him morally scarred and he is unlikely to find it easy to make a political comeback in the near future. Now, the controversy over Kim's cryptocurrency holdings has been brewing for more than two months since it first broke in early May. And while he vigorously defended his innocence in the wake of the controversy, it was an embarrassing moment for the party, which has already been embroiled in other scandals. And it had to uh, be caught up in a controversy over 
cryptocurrencies, which is a highly sensitive subject. And now the ruling party took aim at Kim, accusing him of trading in undisclosed and insider information. And the allegations that Kim traded cryptocurrencies in the middle of a committee meeting only added fuel to the fire. Now, the decision by the advisory panel of the National Assembly's Special Committee on Ethics also suggests that it is unlikely that Kim will be stripped of his seat because no action has been taken so far against lawmakers Yoon Myung, Lee Sang-jik, and Park Dok-hum, who have already been recommended for expulsion from the 21st National Assembly. But for now, the general consensus is that the Democratic nomination is a foregone conclusion for next April's general election. I'm telling you, next year's uh, general election is going to be a fun one. It is going to be uh, highly contentious and, uh, of course, both sides trying to uh, win this one. The DP trying to, again, have the majority of the seats and uh, the ruling uh, People Power Party obviously trying to take over the majority mm-hmm. uh, because it's really been the National Assembly that has been blocking uh, the ruling party from getting a lot of their things uh, done right now. Uh, also, a uh, name that we haven't heard in some time now, the fate of South Korea's interior minister, uh, Lee Sang-min, will be decided next week. Uh, this is going to be on uh, July 25th. Uh, this is 167 days after impeachment proceedings began against him. Now, the impeachment was, again, uh, due to his inadequate response during the Itaewon crowd crush disaster where, uh, unfortunately, more than 150 people died in a crowd crush while celebrating uh, Halloween uh, Chiang, do give us some insights uh, into the court's review process. Uh, sure, SJ. Now, the Constitutional Court uh, announced that the final verdict will be made at 2 p.m. on the 25th next week. Now, according to a court official, uh, considering the national significance of the case, they have moved forward with expedited deliberations and set a special date for the announcement. Now, the Constitutional Court formed a task force led by Constitutional Judge Lee Jong-seok to review the legal uh, principles involved. And they've held two preliminary dates and four court dates so far. And key issues raised during these court dates included whether Lee violated his duties in preventive measures and also post-disaster response, as uh, as well as whether he maintained integrity and dignity as a public official. Now, several key figures, including the head of the Disaster Safety Management Bureau and also the director of Central Disaster and Safety Countermeasures Headquarters, uh, the director of the Fire Agency Situation Room, uh, the manager of also the National Police Agency's Public Safety Situation, and also representatives of the victim's family in Itaewon were called in as witnesses. Now, this impeachment is unprecedented in the country's constitution constitutional history, and it's the first time an impeachment bill against a cabinet member has passed the uh, National Assembly, and the motion was initiated by the Democratic Party, the Justice Party, and the Basic Income Party uh, following Lee's handling of the Itaewon disaster. Now, the motion passed with 179 out of 293 total votes back in February. The Really, the unfortunate thing out of all this is that, I mean, again, uh, many people did believe that uh, uh, Interior Minister Lee Sang-min should have resigned uh, over mm-hmm. the mishandling of the Itaewon crowd crush. But because uh, that didn't happen and the whole impeachment process happened, it, it became too much of a political wrangling rather than mm-hmm. 
what the victims' families had really wanted, which is answers, right? Is mm-hmm. what it is, and really also, you know, those that were responsible for the mishandling uh, to be punished, because it's now become unfortunately, and and the, the whole Sarahol incident was also very infor- unfortunate as well. Mm-hmm. As much more, it, it became such a political thing that now those who maybe uh, share conservative ideas are blaming. Uh, basically, the DP for you know taking this very political, yeah. and uh, I, I think they've kind of forgotten what's the most important thing here. Uh, it's not about who's wrong and who's right, uh, but really the families, victims, and I think still till this day, I think there's a whole lot of controversy in regards to this, and uh, you know the the families of the victims are again. Uh, because sort of become the secondary victim uh, mm-hmm. regards to all this right now. So uh, we'll see. Next week, uh, we'll get some coverage on that. Um, we're going to talk about another very unfortunate uh, story that has uh, popped up. Uh, this was actually earlier uh, this week, and I um, was wondering when we were going to be talking about this. But uh, recently, a 23-year-old teacher uh, who worked at Seoi Elementary School in Sachogo, Seoul, uh, she took her own life in school. Uh, her family members and fellow teachers are demanding to know why, because it was, I believe there was no note uh, or any kind of message or any kind of signs that this was she was going to take her own life. But uh, teachers and bereaved families across the countries calling for a responsible investigation by the Seoul Metropolitan's Office of Education, also the Ministry of Education, and the police saying that the deceased must have chosen to take her own life at school for a reason. Uh, you also had the teachers and citizens, uh, people, continue to pay their respects by visiting the Seoi Elementary School. Hannah, certainly a, a very difficult topic to talk about, but uh, do give us the details of this. Yes, uh, sure. Now, a representative of the teachers' union said that everyone would have the same question as to why she chose a school to end her life. He added that the investigating authorities are framing the case as a personal matter, but if it were only a personal matter, then the last place of choice would not have been to be a school. Now, teachers have also raised concerns about untenable school conditions. So. When there is a school violence happening, then the homeroom teacher has the most responsibility despite not having the power to investigate. And there is little support from the education office or the school itself. So it is often covered by the homeroom teacher's mediation, which is very stressful. This uh, was a quote by an Incheon teacher who visited Seoi Elementary School to pay his respect to the recently deceased teacher. However, the jury is still out on why the teacher took this uh, extreme step. There have been allegations online that the teacher had suffered from excessive complaints from parents of students in her class, but so far the police investigation has not found any evidence of harassment. And the police have reportedly interviewed the deceased uh, uh, teacher's family, friends, and some colleagues and are conducting further investigations with fellow teachers. Now, On the other hand, the bereaved family members of the deceased criticized the school's stance that there was no connection between the school and her death, such as that she applied to be a first grade teacher, but the fact that a novice teacher was assigned to a stressful first grade classroom meant that she was thrown into complaints, bullying, and work stress. So, we t- uh, what was it? Uh, maybe a, a month ago, or maybe a little bit before that, uh, Rob and I, during our Tuesday's uh, Different View uh, segment, where we kind of debate and talk about some of the uh, key issues in Korean society, we talked about education here in Korea, and one of the things is that, and this to me still is baffling how mm-hmm. and this is probably because i you know i went to school in the u.s where this is unheard of of 
parents basically having the cell phone numbers of teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. It's just, I mean, it, you, you can't have that. You know, if once school's done, you can't be calling the teachers and complaining about a whole bunch. So that's why you have uh, every year you have the parents teacher meeting where you, whatever you want to mm-hmm. say and, you know, is said there. Uh, but as we know here in Korea, things are a little bit different. And uh, because there is no clear cut reason as to why this has happened, uh, it is important that we keep it with just the facts right now, and hopefully the answer uh, is out. Uh, We do have some more news in regards to the education system here in Korea, a public elementary school in Yangcheon district, uh, which another uh, very notable district uh, for education, uh, requesting that Seoul Metropolitan Office of Education press charge against a sixth grade student who allegedly uh, assaulted a teacher. Uh, Jiyoung, tell us more about this. Uh, sure. Now, the student was reportedly attending special education classes due to emotional and behavioral disorders. And uh, the student is alleged to have verbally and also physically assault the teacher inside a classroom last month. Now, the school has decided to take disciplinary action against student. the student. Uh, uh, let me refer him to student A, uh, including a transfer to another school and also 12 hours of special education. Now, the student's parents have also been asked to attend five hours of special education ses- sessions. Now, according to the Office of Education, the school held a teacher's rights protection committee on the uh, committee meeting on the 19th and decided to request an investigation into the student um, for infringing upon the rights of the teacher. Now, let me tell you about the procedure when a school requests charges against a student. Now, well, before the Office of Education can proceed with charges, the school's teacher's right protection committee must first deliberate and pass a request for an indictment. Now, if this is approved, the request then moves to the office's own Teachers' Rights Protection Committee for further review before a final decision on pressing charges is made. Now, the sole Office of Education is expected to soon deliberate on pressing charges against this student A, um, as well as support for legal fees. Now, both these points need to pass a secondary review by the office to go to the next step. You know, I I think some people, if they see this report or see this news, they might be going, well, you know, maybe this kid is going through something, uh, you know, why press charges and stuff like that. You have to understand that a lot of schools, there are, because there's a show that I watch, Kumchogi sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a good way to, you know, learned how to be a good parent and stuff like that. A lot of kids with issues come Mm -hmm. about and there are a number of cases where these kids, they go beyond uh, what is considered acceptable for that age as in sometimes they do assault teachers and mm-hmm. the teachers knowing that they're going through some issues they just go you know stop they'll hold them down and stuff like that they don't go oh i got hit i'm gonna press charges something must be going beyond what it is right now it's not something that just happened once right like a you know teacher that got hit once and going i'm gonna press charges it's become a problem and i think this is a very important thing and now we talked about you know protecting the students but also who protects the teachers uh, right. is the other question and of course we saw with the previous uh, report of a teacher taking her own life, even though we don't know what exactly happened here. Uh, This is certainly going to be it's going to kick off, I think, a wave of different news that's going to come out with issues uh, regards to teachers' rights. Uh, in regards to this, though, uh, we're going to stick with the education 
uh, topic, uh, Deputy Prime Minister and the Minister of Education, Iju Ho, uh, said at a meeting with teachers that he will overhaul the ordinance of student rights to ensure that teachers' legitimate educational activities are not curtailed by a system and culture that overemphasizes students' human rights. Uh, Hannah, let's tell us what this is all about. Sure. Uh, now, this meeting was organized to express condolences to the new teacher who recently took her own life at an elementary school in Sochogu, Seoul, and to, of course, hear the voices of teachers who are struggling with infringements on their teaching rights and activities. Now, the um, education minister, Lee Juho, said, despite our ongoing efforts, more than 3,000 cases of infringement of educational activities were reviewed and handled in schools last year, and the types of infringement are diversifying and becoming more serious. He then said, uh, in particular, the overemphasis and prioritization of student rights have led to a breakdown in classroom practice, and due to the anti-discrimination provisions, of the Ordinance of Student Rights, even the act of encouragement is perceived as discrimination against other students, which makes it difficult to bring diversity into the classroom. Now, excessive insistence on personal freedom makes it very difficult to actively cope with students' behavior, which leads to teacher assaults. And Lee added that we are committed to boldly uh, reforming systems and practices that prevent teachers from teaching students to the best of their abilities and we will work with city and state superintendents to rewrite the ordinance of student rights and address the concerns they raise. I remember back in the days when uh, teachers were scary, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when they, when uh, they could hit the yeah, students. Yeah, with like pictures. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't go to elementary school here in, mm -hmm. in Korea, but I went as far as kindergarten. I remember uh, there was always, even at kindergarten, there was oh, the really? threats with the, uh, the ruler, oh, right? Really? Well, I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like you know bad right but it was just kind of like hey you know if you don't listen to you know the teacher you know we're gonna get the ruler and mm -hmm. uh, you know nothing really happened but we teachers were scary mm -hmm. <laughs> back in the days uh it really is unfortunate that the changes that we're seeing in, in regards to that uh let's move on here south korea and japan's relations again has been quite rosy uh, japan has restored south korea to its so-called white list of countries receiving receiving a preferential treatment export screening uh finally this has happened. Jiang, uh, let's get the latest on this. Uh, sure. Now, as reported by Japan's public broadcaster NHK, the process to re-include South Korea in the whitelist was finalized on the 21st and has now been implemented. Now, this move comes about four years after Japan moved South Korea from the list in reaction to a South Korean Supreme Court ruling on wartime forced labor compensation. Now, Japan Japan's whitelist includes countries like the United States and the United Kingdom. Now, when a country is on the list, the process of exporting goods or providing technology from Japan is uh, simplified. Now, if the possibility of military use is considered low, no individual permission is required. Now, tensions began in 2018 when the South Korean Supreme Court ruled that Japan firms must compensate Korean victims of forced labor during World War II. And as a de facto uh, retaliatory measure, 
Japan imposed export restrictions on three semiconductors um, military um, materials in July 2019, and then removed South Korea completely from the whitelist uh, on the following month. And South Korea responded by taking Japan to the World Trade Organization and reciprocally removed Japan from its own whitelist. And the turning point in this dispute was through what's called the shuttle diplomacy, where South Korean President Yoon Sung-yeol and Japan's Prime Minister Kishida Fumio uh, held uh, successive summits in each other's countries in the first half of this year, seeking to improve bilateral relations. Now, earlier this year, South Korea restored Japan to its whitelist and Japan withdrew its semiconductor export restrictions. Now, with Japan completing the administrative procedures to re-include South Korea in its whitelist, it looks like the export regulation conflict between the two nations has finally been resolved. But what's interesting is ever since, uh, you know, South Korea was removed from the whitelist and there was some export restrictions, right? South Korea kind of found their ways to get their own materials and they were, you know, especially Mm -hmm. Samsung Electronics, right? I mean, there there was a lot of, whole lot of stuff that they were getting from Japan Mm -hmm. and they basically were able to uh, produce things domestically. And they were saying that Japan in turn actually took a hit from that, uh, kind of back, you know, backfired on them. But Again, I've always said, uh, you know, with improved ties between the two countries, uh, economically, there is a whole lot of win-win situations, and uh, hopefully this is one of them. But big question remains, right? What's next for South Korea and Japan then? Uh, Yeah, now that's a really good question, SJ. Uh, Both countries plan to use the restoration of the whitelist as an opportunity to regularly hold high-level export control policy dialogues twice a year. Now, they're also accelerating economic cooperation. And just last month, they agreed to restore their currency swap agreement for the first time in eight years. And it's a positive step toward closer ties, especially economically. Let's uh, move on. Uh, We're going to finish things off with some updates on the ongoing war in Ukraine. This is also very controversial. We had the New York Times reporting on Thursday that Ukraine has begun using cluster bombs. Uh, This is the very controversial weapon uh, that the U.S. has decided to supply Ukraine with. But also, uh, cluster bombs, because the way that it's used, it has the potential of taking innocent lives as well you don't just it's kind of like a shotgun right it just kind of spreads mm-hmm. everywhere you really can't control where these uh, the munitions are going and uh, at times this controversial weapon is used for war crimes as well so hannah tell us about this sure uh, now, according to multiple U.S. military sources cited by the New York Times, Ukrainian forces recently fired U.S.-made cluster bombs on the southeastern uh, Ukrainian front line, which borders were occupied by, by Russian invaders. Now, the Ukrainian forces, who launched a major counteroffensive early last month, are reportedly using these cluster munitions with indiscriminate killing power as they try to breakthrough the defenses of the occupied territory that Russian forces have been building for months. Now, this uh, cluster bomb is a weapon that contains multiple small bombs inside a single bomb, and when the mother bomb detonates in midair, the baby bombs inside rush out to attack multiple nearby targets simultaneously. Now, the U.S. delivered cluster munitions to Ukraine last week, saying it was providing them as a transitional measure because it takes 
time to produce the shells Ukraine needs. And the cluster munitions are considered war crimes by the international community because of their indiscriminate nature, harming not only soldiers and equipment engaged in warfare, but also civilians. And so they are more likely to cause civilian collateral damage by targeting large areas rather than precision strikes and have the potential to leave unexploded ordnance in the ground, killing civilians who come into contact with them decades later. And this is particularly why 120 countries around the world ban the use of cluster munitions. Now, U.S. allies supporting Ukraine militarily have also recently expressed reluctance to support the use of U.S. cluster munitions. And the U.S. government has defended its Ukrainian-backed cluster munitions, saying they are not used in civilian areas and are carefully selected to have a low probability of misfiring. Now, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine in February of last year and soon after was caught using these cluster bombs which drew international condemnation. Now, the Russian president, uh, Vladimir Putin, warned over the weekend that if Ukraine uses U.S.-made cluster bombs, Russia will respond with the same munitions. Yeah, and I think that is the scary thing here. It is mm-hmm. one thing to use the cluster bombs and uh, you know increase the chances of innocent lives being taken because mm-hmm. of the po- probability of misfiring, uh, and so forth. But now Russia has now uh, has an excuse to use weapons that they haven't used before. And I think already right now, uh, if you guys uh, heard about the news of uh, Odessa, the southern uh, Ukrainian city of Odessa being uh, attacked for like three consecutive nights or something like that, they're using much more advanced missiles now. Uh, and so if I don't know. And, and who knows? Uh, you know, Putin has been known for some empty threats as well. Uh, but considering what happened with the Crimean Bridge, he's very mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the use of the uh, the cluster bombs, uh, he's very mad. It might actually give him a reason to use tactical nuclear weapons is the big fear. Right. And so I think this is the big thing that uh, some of the other, uh, even the ally countries are a little bit uh, concerned about. So... We'll continue. This is another issue that we'll continue to keep a close tap on. Guys, thank you very much for the latest updates here. Have a safe weekend, and uh, we'll see you guys again. Thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.